Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com slash support. So I don't know you guys. I don't know what it is you like or don't like when it comes to comedy. Hopefully I'll figure out what you don't like. And I'll probably do more of that because I'm kind of a dick. (laughs) I recently bought a book about feng shui, but I haven't read it, so I have no idea where to put it. See that? Little groups of people, like a nice cerebral joke. Other people, we don't even know what feng shui means. People like different things. And that's why this job sucks. Yeah, you're the problem. I bet if you're really into feng shui, you're probably not that into uh, rape. Because that's like the prime example of putting something where it doesn't belong. Very interesting. You see that? People who were not on board for Cerebral got on board when we got to rape. Very interesting group dynamic in the room here tonight. I watched a few people tense up. Mm. You cannot joke about rape. Ah, that was a joke about feng shui. What I said was that doesn't belong there. I even made this face. If anything, that was an anti-rape joke. (laughs) You're welcome. Welcome to Electric Liberty Land, here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Your weekly shot of culture, comedy, and liberty with your host, Brian McWilliams. Right, welcome, welcome to Electric Liberty Land, ladies and gents out there. This is Electric Liberty Land, episode number 45, which of course means you can find it at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL45. And uh, I am honored this podcast to welcome in, for I believe the third time, a very special guest, a very funny man, and one of my favorites on the show, the one and only Ryan Stout. What's happening, Thank Ryan? you. The one and only, except for the fact there are a billion Ryan Stouts out there. there I just happen be to be the only one with the, the web properties. <laughs> Good. You're squatting for everybody else. Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Absolutely. And by the way, somebody had to um, pass away in order for me to get RyanStout.com. What, what used to be there? Um, well, it was, it was somebody who was squatting on it for one of their relatives. And then that man, uh, is no longer with us. And so he was unable to pay the fee (laughs) to renew. And then it, it opened up. You know, what's interesting about that. So you've got a guy that is definitely, so he's, he can't be decrepitly old because he knows enough to get a web property and squat on it. So what did he die of? He must've died of some unnatural means. Well, like I, I didn't know the guy, um, and I, I hope you're not saying I'm a suspect, but uh, – Well, I mean I think uh, maybe you're just Googling obituaries for Ryan Stouts out there being like, ha, ha, not this time. I did have a little contact with him via MySpace back, uh, back in wow. old 2006 <laughs> there looking to see if he would sell me 
RyanStout.com, and he would not. Wow. And uh, then he died mysteriously, and I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> he and MySpace died at the same time, probably. <laughs> most, and by the way, that's how I knew he passed away, because I was like, when I got the notification that the web property was available, I went over to MySpace, and there were all these sad messages posted <laughs> under his picture, and I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> but you didn't you didn't comment though you 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 didn't make anything up or uh comment just say hey thanks for holding that page for me so long All right, if you please. can if you can imagine me walking into a room where i don't belong and then like slowly backing out the door <laughs> somehow that's what i did on the internet <laughs> i love it uh that was before the the uh, gifs were big too you could have posted a great <laughs> gif of that home like disappearing into the bush backwards from the simpsons i like that you pronounced it gif because uh Everybody else thinks it's GIF. I, I might be right. I, I don't pronounce anything correctly, by the way. You're lucky. Well, I only pronounce your name correctly because I'm an alcoholic and I know what a stout beer is. Yes, of course. Otherwise, uh, it's all off. Yeah, I, I don't know how to pronounce anything. Any names, I don't pronounce them. I, partially, I think, because I don't watch that much TV. I mostly just read. So mm -hmm. anybody's name, I'm like, well, I'll just take my best stab at it. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I knew a girl growing up. Her last name was Bonner. And then um, uh, Boehner is spelled the same as Bonner, right. apparently. So when I'm looking at that politician's name, like on a teleprompter, it is my instinct to say Bonner. And everybody's like, you know, it's pronounced Boehner. And then I look like an idiot. <laughs> well, yeah. fuck them for being so judgmental. I know. But the point I wanted to make with GIF and GIF is it's pronounced GIF, but because society, for whatever reason, just started pronouncing it GIF, now GIF is totally acceptable too. Like everybody just shrugged and said, ah, it doesn't matter. You know what we're talking about. Yeah. It's like, doesn't it drive you insane? And this actually, this ties into a topic we get into a little later in the show about the state of the state of education and, uh, and culture. But doesn't it drive you nuts when like the dictionary will change the definition or add another definition to a word that is not even close or they'll add another spelling because people are too stupid to say it right. <laughs> and they're like, well, you know what? Uh, we just, we're just going to, yeah, fuck it. You guys win. We're just going to change it in the dictionary now. Well, the crazy part for me is if we can just change pronunciation of a word whenever we feel like it, like whenever a group feels like it should be pronounced differently, then obviously we're going to have words where the definition changes just because the group feels like it's defined differently. And then you go, well, what, what do we even have definitions for? Why are we defining anything? If we're just going with our feelings on this, we're not doing a very good job with our vocabulary. Exactly. God, it makes me want to just you know, screw it. I'm just going to. No, no, no. I'm gonna stick to my I'm sticking to my guns. We're gonna go in order of I had this goddamn show planned. Let's out. do it. What's which topic one? Let's get into it. All right. Topic one is the is topic one across all of news media uh, at the current point. Well, so that's the Texas shooting that just happened. And mm -hmm. uh, it's all uphill from here though. It's gonna be happier stuff we'll talk about. Well, maybe not By the happier, way, that, but more that's, entertaining. That's a that's a good way to start. We start at the bottom and we crawl our way out, everybody. Exactly. Always leave them. Long laughing, is the know? way and hard that leads up to light. <laughs> So, that was in the movie Seven. Oh, great. Excellent. <laughs> That's a good one. So everybody just keep that in your mind. Keep the image, especially the one I like, the head in the box and the visceral image of the man uh, <laughs> having sex with the women with the blade. Let's, let's keep that deep in your mind as we start talking about those. Uh, uh, so Texas church shooting, you know, Sutherland Springs, Texas, guy named Devin Patrick Kelly, who was a former uh, U.S. airman. He was uh, discharged because he had basically charges of domestic abuse, beating his wife and her unborn child, I believe, at the time. He was then put in a mental hospital because he had tried to bring guns onto an Air Force base. He had escaped from that mental hospital. And uh, none of these records 
of any of these uh, these altercations or uh, or any things that happened had been shared to a federal database. Now, the reason I say that is because this man then went and shot up a church using a, uh, a legally purchased uh, rifle and killed 26 people. And one of the reasons he was able to buy said rifle was because the Air Force did not uh, push along this information to the federal database that, that works when you're getting background checks. Right. So, so legally legally purchased because there was a problem with the system. <laughs> right, exactly. So his, he, he got basically they uh they added an extra loophole which I guess is the the Air Force doesn't want you to know about its psychopaths loophole. Right, right. Um and and it just kind of sounds like any any time you have a large system full of strangers dealing with records of other strangers, things fall through the cracks or things just don't get reported. You know, the reason it didn't get reported was because somebody probably felt, uh, you know, in a hurry that day or they had other work to do they thought was more important. And then it just got shuffled around. And it was like they had to, uh, they had to take part in the comment board, the flame war over whether it's pronounced GIF or GIF. Uh huh. And that yeah, takes priority. They were busy Which, on, on way, Facebook making that happen. Fun fact Did you see these released uh, documents that came out, like some recent data, data dump? And then we'll get back to the Texas thing in a minute. But said that Osama bin Laden, over his last few, few uh, months over time, when he was just killing time in the, uh, in the house in Pakistan he was hiding out in, actually spent his days arguing with 9 11 conspiracy theorists who said that it was an inside job. <laughs> I shit you not. This is, this is real documents from the government. <laughs> he, oh, man. Even in the final days, he was like, why can't I get credit? Exactly. Why he was like, fuck I you. Credit? It's like the Iron Sheik's Twitter account. So, uh, so anyway, well, okay. I, I with, with this particular shooting, um, I, I'm glad that you brought up the internet because that's kind of my theory. Um, and I have, I have virtually nothing to support this. It's just uh, it's just an inkling that I have that we are all spending so much time on the Internet and we are, are managing to find ourselves in these echo chambers where well, I mean, you can find anything on the Internet. So if you want to find a whole group of people talking about why you are wrong about anything, you will find those people. Oh, yeah. And if you want to find crazy people who are willing to tell you that you are right about every crazy idea you've ever had, you'll find those people. And I feel like we're in a society right now where uh, crazy people are finding other crazy people on the Internet. Their beliefs are getting reinforced and then they're acting out on those beliefs. And that, and we don't know from from an outside perspective what is going on. We can't pick out the motive for the guy in Vegas. We can't pick out a motive for this guy in Texas. We can't pick out all sorts of motives because it's just some ethereal, mushy thing that's inside of their head that uh, it doesn't have any basis in reality. Yeah, and I and I'll, I'll say I agree with that. And this guy specifically, I was trying to find you know people were looking more into his background and basically this guy. A lot of the times, like even with the, the guy Pollock uh, who shot up in Vegas, everybody was kind of like, well, you know what? He seemed like a nice enough guy. And was, everybody's always like, oh, he's just the, the guy next door. You never suspect anything. Not this guy. Not this, this Texas dude. <laughs> there's, I read this whole whole internet article which was citing his friends and, and people that knew him from church. And they were just like, yeah, I had to get away from that guy. He was a goddamn psychopath. So this guy was like a, one of the few. And uh, I mean, even to the point where – he was trying to date uh, thirteen-year-olds, and then when um, he got together with his girlfriend or wife that was living with him, he was trying to convince a thirteen-year-old girl to work and live with them as a topless maid. Wow! So he wow. was a real interesting cat. 
you know? Yeah, he had some extreme ideas about everything. It, it seems so. It really does. And committed an extreme act. Yes. Okay. But okay. Uh, to your point, talking about internet culture and just culture in general right now, and and I think, you know, when you look at not just the internet, that, that of course, reinforces everything, but also I think media in general, you know, even on the television, you've got just everything is, is talking heads. It's hard to find a reliable news source to give you straight facts. And then you've got the echo chamber that goes on later when you go online and, uh, and it all ties into another topic we're going to get to a little bit, which is people being afraid to express their actual feelings. So you hear the same talking points over and over again, getting reinforced. So people hide their real feelings inside. They try to find these groups on the internet that reinforce their beliefs. And it's kind of like everybody goes down these troll holes where, Mm -hmm. yes, you get the extremism of thought is like bred into you. And then, then you feel like, well, there's no other out. Uh, Everybody agrees with me here. These people must die. They're psychos. They're the worst thing in the world. And I'm going to go do something about it. Right. Well, we I think we kind of touched on this last year before the election, you know, when we were talking about Gary Johnson, we were just talking about the extremism of, you know, these all or nothing attitudes. You know, you're either a Democrat or a Republican and nobody's nobody's willing to be something in between. And uh, there's there's a a level of, you know, like uh, ideologies now like feminism, where you either have to be this hardline feminist, and if you make any misstep, well, now you're an enemy. Mm -hmm. And it's all or nothing with every little bit of society. And so you you just end up in these situations where people are being forced to make a choice of, well, I can either get into the nuance of a topic, or I can just make this hard line position and stay with my people and be protected. Right. And broadly because, label, broadly label somebody as a yeah. sexist or, or example, a, a racist. I mean, this Virginia, they're doing the Virginia election today because we're recording this on the 7th. So there's right. elections going on. I didn't vote in the LA ones today. I looked over the ballot measures and while I was tempted to just go vote no on everything, uh, just to, cause they're all basically to spend more money, but, mm-hmm. uh, I did not mm-hmm. go vote, but you know, we've got this, this election in Virginia going on. And that was a very contentious campaign between these two characters where basically the democratic campaigned on, uh, the, how the Republican was a racist and the Republican campaigned on how the Democrat was going to let violent, uh, Hispanic gangs take over the place. Essentially right. it was what happened. So you've got, and, these- and there's nothing, there's nothing between those two. Right. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, that was one or the other. <laughs> It was either you're a racist or you love gangs. That's it. And that's what's going on throughout everything. It's like people just they they throw these these bombs around, these terms which are so damaging. And once you hear that, once you call somebody a racist, I mean, there's no coming back from that because anything you say now, they go, well, that's exactly what uh, somebody would say who was trying not to sound like they were racist. They're like, right. well, yeah, right. because I am trying to sound like I'm not a racist. Right. Well, and and a lot of the things that are coming out with. Uh, with sexual assault allegations across the board oh. in Hollywood and these phrases like predatory behavior, if you just raise your hand and say, excuse me, I don't know what that phrase means, predatory behavior, and they go, well, then you're part of the problem. Right. And yeah. I go, wait, I'm, I'm trying to be part of the solution, but you don't have <laughs> defined terms. And by not defining the terms, you you just widen that gap. You're on one side or another, and everybody's afraid to be any nuanced position in between. Oh, of course. Well, and also, so they've got this, like you're saying, yeah, predatory, predatory behavior, which is basically for most people. I mean, if we're look, being completely honest, the Harvey Weinstein's of the world put to one category, but trying to get laid 
for most men, most men is likely predatory behavior when you look at a lot of the actions because it always depends on, okay, what's your definition of predatory or what's your definition of sexually aggressive or sexual harassment? Because I saw people that are posting like, well, somebody called me hun. This is a real post on Facebook. Calling you hun in the office place was right. sexual harassment and that right. and hashtag me too. You're like, right, right. I don't think that's what they're getting at when they started down this road. Sure. I wish people would imagine themselves sitting in a circle and talking about what happened to them. And the person who went just before them is the worst story they've ever heard in their life. And they have to go next and they have to stand up and tell people, yeah, um, I was called Hun. And and see if you can follow. See if you can follow that other person's story and not feel like an idiot. But um, yeah, I I mean, I was talking about this on stage uh, at a a show and I was like, yeah, you've got all these people. Hashtag me too. This guy looked at me and I could just tell what he wanted. Hashtag me too. And uh, I was like, I know there are women out there just thinking, no, hashtag not you. You that that one does not count as one of the stories. Um, imagining somebody's uh, desires is not the same as being assaulted. Right. Meanwhile, you've got half the people that are actually using that hashtag. That's that is actually what they're saying. Like he looked at me lecherously was another one I saw was being uh. used as a hashtag me too. Like, well, now you don't know. Maybe you had a stain on your shirt, and he was <laughs> just like, "God damn it, bitch! Learn to eat your hot dog better. You got mustard <laughs> on your titties." But no, it's now it's hashtag me too because someone's looking at the stain. It's just it's it's gone into a just a spiraling madness and it doesn't seem like it's going to get any better. And actually this, this ties into kind of what I want to talk about with Rand Paul. So Rand Paul, obviously prominent uh, Republican, uh, somewhat, you know, sometimes libertarian, depending on which way you want to go with it, got assaulted in his front yard. He was on a riding mower with earplugs in and uh, his neighbor comes, I guess, charging out of nowhere and just starts beating the shit out of him and bro- like displaced five ribs and maybe he really fucked him up. <laughs> And uh, and people were like, well, I wonder why he could have done it. And then his Facebook page, which has now been taken down, is just all anti-Trump rhetoric and fuck this and fuck that. And, you know, the Republicans are the worst people in the world. And that yet all the articles now coming out, like I saw an article in GQ today, which was like, you know what? Rand Paul seems like he was a dick because uh, he says he believes in property rights. But meanwhile, he had a mulch pile that was against the, the town rules. And that's why the, this fight happened. I'm just like, what the fuck are you talking about? So, um, so it's a, yeah, and, and an even extremist. the lawyers aren't giving us any idea of what's happening because lawyers on both sides are like, yeah, it's just a just a, a private neighborly dispute, and uh, we we hope we can just move on and keep being neighbors again. And it was like, <laughs> man, he broke five ribs, like and. By the way, not just cracked ribs, like severely broken oh, yeah. on both Bruised like lungs. Yeah. Um, I don't know what could have possibly happened between these men, but I really don't believe politics had anything to do with it. I, I feel like uh, uh, this is this is just part of you. You live close to somebody and uh, who I, I don't know if somebody was sleeping with somebody's wife. Uh, <laughs> But I, I just cannot imagine 
you know, thinking about how somebody chooses to vote and then being like, well, I have to go. I have to go physically assault them after well, how many see, years? Like I, they've been neighbors for so many years. I like, you know how have, Rand yeah. Paul is going to vote. Yeah, and if, but, you're an, uh, if you're a Democrat, well, that's you. You've been the opposite for a long time. What what would bring you to your breaking point? I, I will tell you. I'll tell you what is because I think it is. Pol- I, I think it is politics because Rand Paul has been buddy buddy with Trump now a lot more than he used to be. So before they were probably, you know, you could see it was that, OK, you know, Rand, he's got some things I agree with and some things I don't agree with. But if this guy's rapidly anti-Trump and he's also an anesthesiologist, so who knows? Maybe he's hopped up on ether but he, uh, <laughs> or it was formerly an anesthesiologist. But maybe he's like, oh, Rand Paul's Trump's best buddy. You know, and finally he gets fed up and he goes, ah, fuck that guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He whomps on him, you know. Well, I and by the way, maybe he's uh, he's caught up in his own little uh, internet activity where right. people are getting him very angry. By the way, it's very easy to get angry at the president if you're on the internet. But oh, if you put perfect. your phone down and go about your life, um, it's very <laughs> easy to think, yeah, the president really isn't doing a right, whole lot. Yeah. Doesn't impact my life virtually in any way, shape, or form. Uh, maybe yeah. the tax, maybe the tax reform they're pushing through will impact me. Uh, or if North Korea does end up firing nukes at us. One of those two totally things. Totally could happen, yes. <laughs> um, but until then, it's like, what is this guy doing to me? Um, well, he's a businessman who magically got elected, and he doesn't know what he's doing. So he's probably not going to be doing anything right. to me. Which is great. He can't. He's having a hard time getting anything done, which I think is fantastic. <laughs> Just keep them in a status, you know, like a, right. a stasis field. You battle against each other. Right. Yeah. Just have it out. Yeah, Get yeah, nothing yeah. done. I like that tug of war with just nothing happening. Meantime, <laughs> here's the other thing, by the way, about this story that I thought was so odd was, uh, you know, after this all happened, the guy got released on bail for $7,500, which seems fairly cheap for uh, viciously assaulting a U.S. senator. Right. I mean, I was reading that that is a, a like the feds need to get involved because uh, it's it like, yeah, if it's just on the state level, it maybe is mis- misdemeanor assault. Yeah. But because you're attacking somebody in a high government position, it becomes a federal offense. You right. could do 10 years. Right. And then well, the thing that's craziest of all, though, is that they release him on bail. But then there's no you know, there's no uh, order that's restricting his movement or nothing, no restraining order. So the guy just goes back home. Next door yeah. to Rand Paul. I mean, that's, I'm thinking like, that's kind of like somebody, you know, like somebody gets in trouble for fisting you uh, at camp. And then they're like, all right, now go back and share bunk beds again. Come on, get in your tent. Right. <laughs> it's like, you'd think there'd be some other measure of protection there. But yeah, I guess, <laughs> I don't know. This whole thing is just so bizarre. And like you said, the getting the actual details out and getting any comment out about it. Like, I don't, Rand hasn't spoken. I mean, great. He can't breathe, but yeah, it's just so yeah, weird. I mean, it's just uh, it's baffling on so many levels. I'm always I'm genuinely baffled anytime somebody tries to resolve anything through violence. Um, it, it's I'm I'm always the first one to raise my eyebrows and be like, wait, what's going on? Right? Because it's I mean, at the best, it's like what what's the best case scenario? I mean, I could I personally in my past I've had issues where growing up in high school, you know, I've got, I got in a fight or two, and for you know. Me and another guy didn't like each other, and you fight, and it uh, gets it out of the way, and then and then it's all it's all fine. It gets resolved. It's always it'll happen between friends. You clear the air over an issue, fine. I still mm-hmm. don't, I don't condone the violence, but that's where you could say, okay, maybe it just was a weird thing, and you got it out of your system, and it's done. But in yeah. general, like, what's the best case scenario? And when you're having an actual argument on a uh, on a deep political or theological basis with somebody and you end up beating the shit out of them 
in what way, shape, or form does that possibly reinforce your intellectual point? Right. I'm going to beat you until you're socialist. That's going to happen. I'm going to change your brain. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to target this bat and beat the parts of your brain that have the specific memories that you uh, enjoy about your political philosophy. And if I can damage (laughs) them just right, then we're going to be friends. I'm going to beat your heroes out of you. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so that brings me to this next thing I want to talk about. And uh, this was that... Recently, there was a poll taken, and I think it was Cato, actually, uh, the institute uh, that did the poll, and they polled a broad swath of people, and they found that some 71% of people said that social justice is killing off communication and conversation between people, and that 50% of them said they had political views they're afraid to share. So does that strike you as uh, 100% accurate, or do you find some fault with that? Um, Well, I think... I mean, I've certainly seen people who identify themselves as social justice warriors who I say, oh, I I cannot communicate at all with that person because um, just the way they conduct themselves is so loud and aggressive and so, again, more all or nothing behavior. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people who I know identify as a social justice minded person who I say, oh, well, that person's very smart. I can talk to them. Um, But I think, again, it's this idea of that that we started off talking about that you're almost forced to pick one side or another and everything in the middle is no man's land. It's it's almost like being in World War One and you've got trench warfare Mm -hmm. and you don't want to be stuck in the middle. Yeah. So nobody's (laughs) nobody wants to express any nuanced behavior, especially on the Internet any in any public forum because they know that they will get attacked from both sides. Yeah, and that's, so, that's a great analogy. I, I really like that. Um, I, I feel like uh, when it comes to individuals sitting around having conversation, I think everybody is totally willing to express their nuance when they can look another person in the eye and when nobody's yelling. Um, but uh, I think especially with the internet where so much can be miscommunicated, misconstrued, and nobody likes to feel misunderstood, mm-hmm. um, I feel like, yeah, communicating via, via that means, yeah, people should be terrified. I'm terrified. Yeah, well, there are things that I would never post on Twitter or Facebook just because I'm like, no, this is there's there's uh, only bad that will come from this. Yeah, well, I I find it's even in person. I'm having difficulty sometimes talking to people. And like I said, some of them are the social justice warriors where you just can't get a word in. So it doesn't really matter. But I think that a lot of people are finding like to the in resolving like people value their friendships so much. And mm-hmm. in the wake of the Trump election and people are losing family members, I mean, in the most extreme cases of overreacting, where you you literally are reading accounts of people saying, I don't speak to my father anymore because he voted for Trump kind of thing. I think people are actually saying, is it like they're they're checking themselves in real time? They're almost real time editing on the fly what they're saying and g- engaging people's reactions and quashing a lot of their thoughts or their uh, their feelings that they say, okay, I know this is going to get a bad reaction, so I'm just going to glaze over it. Like I feel that people are now, even in person, just leaving things off the table because they say, I don't, I know this is something that's going to start a fight, and so mm-hmm. for the sake of this relationship, I'm just not going to talk about it. And I think that's what this poll is is kind of reinforcing is that uh, internet or not, that people are just afraid to actually have a dialogue because they don't know how the people are going to react and they're afraid of losing uh, connections. 
Well, and and I I think I would agree with that. I don't know if I would agree with the social justice component of it, though, because mm-hmm. I've certainly been in situations where I've been surrounded by um, – you know, people that are very extreme on a conservative level about, you know, they they think they should be able to have automatic weapons or rocket launchers or whatever. And uh, and I know that if I object and say, you know, that's a little extreme. Mm-hmm. Do you need a rocket launcher? Right. Is this you're just hanging on to it just in case? <laughs> um you don't get to go out and practice with it. You can't hunt with it. You can't. It's not a tool for you. That's You're point. just hanging on just in case. Um, you shoot potatoes out of it, though, like a potato. Yeah, gun. wouldn't it be fun? Um, but in that situation, I just know like, well, I'm not going to get into this debate with you because I can already just tell from your state of being that you're ready to argue. Right. And so I'm just going to let it go. Right. Well, uh, that's that. That's funny. That specific question, even within libertarian circles, is debated back and forth. Uh, you know, some people, and I, I know that even in our own lines of liberty, uh, there's you know the opinions are widely is that you should be able to have anything in anything uh, or everything in anything. I am. I can't say I'm fully for that. I fall in where I think it should be uh, slightly restricted or uh, or watched in some way, shape, or form. I don't think you should be able to just go over and buy anything willy nilly. And uh, and everybody should have access to uh, you know like the like the old school six six cylinder grenade launchers. But <laughs> at the same time, you know I think there's valid concerns, and this is what crops up every time there's one of these mass shootings. I still you know people call for more gun control, but I still even if it's mocked, do have the valid concern where I say, you know, I just I want to make sure that we can't ever be in a position where we would be at the complete whim of the government and have no ways or means to defend ourselves. Even if it's yeah. unrealistic, but um, anyway, right? Yeah, right. But, but I agree. Well, there are because where you just know you know that you're going into a fight, and there's no way that you, and and ideologically, you're probably not going to convince that person to come to your side because it, they're so deep in their trench. Right. I mean, it's it's the same as arguing over abortion or arguing over so many of the the topics that never get resolved but come up in every election. Right. And you kind of go, look, we we haven't resolved this yet, so why why can't we talk about something that can be resolved? Right. And that's actually a a, a sentiment I shared on on an internet conversation today, where I, one of my liberal friends had posted a huge tirade against. Uh, Republicans and the NRA and gun owners and everything else. And I said, okay, well then what's your solution? There's no reply and say, exactly. There's no one has a good solution for this problem. And until people learn to actually talk about it like adults, there never will be a solution. Anybody's going to agree on. So instead of just masturbating on Facebook and uh, and, (laughs) and fishing for likes, or really (laughs) there's, It's, I like that the little hand is kind of like giving a little little hand job with the thumbs yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, it's so, suggestive, sure. Yeah, so instead of doing that, you know, let's let's talk about something else and actually make some sort of progress in one way, shape, or form. But, right. But I also think that if we talk about the dangers of society, and I, for me, the most dangerous society I can live in is one in which. When I'm talking to anybody, you know, and and in this environment where if I have no idea whether or not what you're saying to me is just saying just you saying it because you think it's what I want to hear, or you're just saying something because it's what is politically acceptable at the time mm-hmm. on a broad level. Meanwhile, you're going to go and vote a different way or have uh, other ideas in your head that you're not going to share with anybody. That actually scares me. 
because you're not having any dialogue with people to actually try to change their opinions. And as we said earlier, you're just going to bury yourself deeper in those chat rooms where people completely agree with you. Right. Look at Trump. Nobody, nobody saw Trump coming. And that's because nobody was willing to admit that, hey, they actually agree with some of what he said and they were going to vote for him. And yet people on uh, on election night are sitting there mouths agape while some of us were uh, were cackling just out of uh, schadenfreude. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it seems like if, if you're willing to have a discussion with somebody and then hide your true feelings and then vote a different way, like it, we might as well be a society where people just stay in their homes, right. they never leave, and then they try to cast a ballot on the way society should act. And right. you go, well, if you're just going to be in your home, how do you care how society acts? Right, exactly. You're co- and you're completely ignorant of how society would interact anyway because you've completely removed yourself <laughs> from it on a functional level. Yeah, yeah. And and everybody's trying to imagine how society should be rather than actually going out into the world and saying, oh, so this is how society is. Right. It's it's almost like uh, I've I have family in Indiana and uh, they they have some ideas about um, you know diversity and uh, you know gay people and whatever else and I'm like you you live on a farm in the middle of nowhere I don't think you know any gay people right. you've you have not interacted with people of color uh, in any way and <laughs> for I bet decades that, and I bet and these yet, gays would milk your cows twice as fast as anybody else. And yet you have these opinions. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, and it, it's really funny because uh, uh, my grandfather actually, he, he had uh, asked me when – this is years ago when California was trying to legalize gay marriage. And my grandfather in Indiana sitting in his chair, he asked me, he said, so what do you think about this whole gay marriage thing? And I know he's a church-going man and goes every Sunday and I tried to deflect – um, because I was like, look, he's an old man. He's going to be in his house out on his farm. He's not going to talk to anybody. So I don't need to battle with him over gay marriage. So what I said was, well, it's supposed to bring a lot of money into the state. And he just shook his head no at me. And he said, <laughs> I don't know why anybody cares. <laughs> and and sure enough, true libertarian, deep down to his bones, he was like, what does it have to do with me? I'm on, in my farmhouse in the middle of nowhere. And it just, it shocked me that I was like, oh, okay, I, I misjudged you, grandfather. I really did. Ah, oh, God. And as we were, uh, we were talking before the show recently uh, passed away. So big ups to your grandfather. Good man yep. lost up in the sky or wherever, wherever he may be. Wherever he may be. All right. Well, on that, let's take a quick break, hear a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back with more Ryan Stout here on Electric Liberty Land. I know many of you are facing major decisions with your health care right now, and I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own health care and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see, what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. 
All right, and we are back. Again, thanks to our new sponsor there, guys. If you are having any questions about what to do for your healthcare, make sure to check them out. They have been a uh, longtime supporter of the podcast. We're glad to have them back on the, well, not the airwaves, the pod. The pod waves. waves. <laughs> the download waves. <laughs> Uh, that, of course, is the voice of Ryan Stout here with me today. Glad to have him. Again, he's got a new comedy special coming out. By the way, tell our audience a little bit where they can find that real quick. And, of course, I will link to this on the show notes page at lionsofliberty.com forward slash ELL45. Sure. Um, so the new album is called How to Be an Audience, and um, it is available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Play, basically everywhere where music gets sold and it's kind of a uh it's kind of a companion piece to my first album which was titled Touche though uh they can both be enjoyed completely on their own <laughs> but i we recommend buying them as a packet you want uh, yeah, to make sure yeah. to get your all of it in at once it and, is a, uh, <laughs> it, it is something that I find very odd that's happening right now. Like when I would find a comedian that I would enjoy, I would ask myself the question, well, what else have they done? Right. And I would look back into the catalog and uh, if they had other goods that were for sale, I would look into those. And now you've got a lot of people, they will see something on like Netflix and they will see a comedian that they now love and they will go, okay, great. We've seen it. And maybe we'll <laughs> go see that person live. And they literally, this is happening to so many comedians. Um, they're, they're like, yeah, my fans don't even know that I have other material out there that's available. They don't look me up on YouTube. They don't look me up on, uh, iTunes. They don't look back. They tell me they love me, but not enough to go back and look at anything else that I've ever accomplished. That's, I, I had no idea that was happening. That's actually shocking to me. Yeah, I brought it up to my therapist, and he was like, "Yeah, think about Instagram. You just—it's—it's it's all about what's happening right now. Yeah, yeah, we, exactly. We don't scroll back two, three, four days, let alone to you know two years ago when the last album came out or the last special. Like, you, know you just go, what have you done for me lately? That's true. Nobody actually wants to take the time. And I remember doing this growing up. You're a—you're an intelligent uh, man, well educated. You have a big vocabulary. So going through reading books, I was a very active reader. And uh, I really wish I had more time to get back to that nowadays, but I would stop, you know, I was one of those guys who, if I saw a word, I didn't know what it meant. I would actually actively go and look it up and you actually use a dictionary at, mm -hmm. at one point. I'm that old. And now, yeah. you know, at least I'll stop. I'll Google it. I'll say, okay, who was, what is this uh, term? Who is this person? And stop what I do. And I feel like nobody does that anymore in any way, shape or form. And that culminates <laughs> in what you're talking about where everybody's like, oh yeah, he's got some other material. I bet. Well, what's next? <laughs> like there's no pause you know okay uh, yeah and and no no new information gets introduced no uh no new information and it's a and it plays into what you're talking about this echo chamber and like here this this takes us into into what i want to want to talk about for the second half of the show here a little bit so there's a poll done and this is through well today actually that recording november 7th while also being a day for elections is also the uh, national, basically a national day for remembering the victims of communism. And communism killed 100 million plus between uh, Stalin and, uh, and, and all of the different wars that happened with, under communist rule with Russia and everything else. So all these people that died from all the factors and all the rulings uh, that went on under communism are remembered today. And there's an organization that did a poll, basically polling people that were age 16 and up. But where the true uh, interesting points in this poll lie is with the millennials and Gen Z, where 58% of the millennials polled 
said that they would like to live under communism or socialism. Now, granted, socialism far more. Communism is a much smaller segment. Right. Socialism was something like, you know, they were the 38% of the overall poll and some 58% of millennials have a fond association for socialism, not realizing that socialism and communism are very closely tied together. One begets the other one in many ways, shapes, and forms. And uh, on an even more worrying statistic is that people seem to not know anything about the impact that communism actually had. They didn't really realize how many people were killed. Like one of these poll questions that I pulled Mm -hmm. up actually was true or false. More people were killed under Adolf Hitler's reign than Joseph Stalin's leadership. And 70% of the people asked in this poll, everybody said that that was true, wherein it is very much false, as Mm -hmm. bad a man as Hitler was. So Mm -hmm. it brings the question to the forefront, how ignorant are people? And is this, has education now been co-opted and and pushed to the side? And is there, I mean, do we have to completely revamp the way education is done to address the issues with attention span and, and getting through actually teaching facts to these people? Right. And uh, you know what? I, I think that's that's half the battle is teaching them what can- communism and socialism actually are. But I think what we're dealing with, particularly with Gen Z and millennials, is th- I think they have a deep-seated fear of capitalism because they haven't really interacted with it a whole lot yet. And because while they were growing up, they were taught to fear the banks and fear things like credit Mm -hmm. because credit only leads to credit card debt. Meanwhile, credit is one of the greatest human inventions ever and is the backbone of capitalism. I mean, it's this belief system that our economy is going to get better and that we can trust in each other. And uh, it's it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. But you've got this whole generation of people that was taught "Mm, maybe credit's bad. And because they have that feeling, which is based on almost no knowledge. It's just a feeling. Um, It's almost like they've been bred to fear capitalism. And so they're just leaning towards some alternative uh, without any knowledge of it. I mean, it's it's almost like they they think it's a comfort blanket and they go, well, this one must be better. And it's and it's something where it seems like a lot of because and, and I'm not I don't want to blanket say all teachers are uh, straight up liberals, but because a lot of teachers are more liberal, I think that the way it's taught does probably trend towards well, capitalism is this, but it's you know it's it's bad because of this. Look at this crash and the uh, look at this the whole regulatory thing we had to go through with the banks and bailing them out. Because I'm sure that's what is prominently taught. To your point, and at right. the same time, you know, you look at how, what has brought people out of poverty faster than anything else. Any other program is just letting the capitalist system work, and yeah. look, and the use of credit, like these micro loans, where they introduced them in Africa and uh, and African nations, which were you know loans for five, ten dollars, microloans, mm-hmm. revolutionized mm-hmm. the way people were living by that mm-hmm. that extension of credit. So yeah, you look at all of these things put into play and how much capitalism done. And it's like the kids, they don't understand because they're not actually, I think it's also because a lot of them don't actually work at all coming up. I mean, I, I don't know about you, but <laughs> I mean, now, can I sound any fucking older, by the way? Back right. In my day, I mowed lawns. But I mean, shit, you know, you mow lawns, you learn, you make money, and you're like, this is capitalism. You know, you work for your money and, and you go spend the money and it's great. And you learn how to, yes. how to interact in a society and how money works and everything else. And I think that everything's now is it's a coddling. It's a uh, it's a spin on the way people are taught how how society interacts and the benefits of that society. And it's to the point now where. 
as you said, maybe they're not anti-capitalist, but it seems like a lot of them are. And it seems like socialism is being taught in a way where it's not saying like, look at Venezuela, which is a socialist nation. Look at those people who don't have fucking toilet paper that are being Mm -hmm. beaten in the streets when they're trying to to fight against this government, which has become a virtual dictatorship with these Mm -hmm. phony elections. And they're not putting two and two together. No matter how many times you point it out to them, they still go, well, I don't know. I think socialism is bad. Um, yeah, it's it's uh, one of these things that I think we'll we'll actually get into a, a little later in the podcast because you you wanted to talk about Larry David a little bit, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, there's there's this thing that happens that I think is really funny, and if you put a stupid person in a museum and you have them look at a painting and you ask them why is the painting bad, this stupid person who's never learned anything about painting will come up with a list of reasons why the painting <laughs> is bad. They they can just do it. You can rationalize right. it. Now, unless you give them the opposite, unless you actually teach them about painting and tell them why reasons are good, they don't have two lists that they can compare against each other. And I think because millennials coming up are being told again and again and again, here's why um, here's why capitalism is bad, and they are not being given the list of why capitalism is good, they can't suss out any type of reason why it might be good. And because they're only being told capitalism is bad, they you, you tell them why socialism is bad, and they just tell you, well, here's why capitalism is bad. Yeah, <laughs> and you go, well, no, 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 that's a different list. God right. damn it. Yeah, solid point. I agree with that completely. And it's also, um, I think it plays into the factors that are involved with Obamacare coming up and, and people saying, well, everybody else has socialized medicine. So they say, they hear socialized being thrown around in conjunction with, with what they would like to have. So they say, well, I would like to not have to pay for healthcare. And that's socialized healthcare. So that comes to be a good thing. I would like not to pay for college. That's socializing of our educational system. So they hear these socialized phrase attached mm-hmm. to these things, which they, they empirically would prefer not to pay for. Meanwhile, they mm-hmm. don't understand the benefits of actually paying for them and why that matters and how the market would work and how you could get better services for less cost by incorporating that and any of that. Like I, none of that seems to be, to be coming through to them in any way, shape or form. Well, and we've constantly been, uh, as a society, pushing this idea that the most important thing is to feel good. Yeah. And um, you know what doesn't feel good? Working hard doesn't always feel good. Sometimes it really sucks. Or or being rejected for a job that you'd like to do to work hard. Also sucks. Ouch, and, you know? and and if you're if you're doing okay at work, like these millennials want your boss to call their parents. Have you heard about that at all? <laughs> no. Like I have not. millennials genuinely like think that maybe you will send some sort of report to their parents that they're doing well <laughs> at their job. And bosses are across the board going, Yeah, I don't know your parents. I don't need to know your parents. Um wow, that is I had not heard about that. I, I'd heard about another story wherein uh these, you know, people were basically the millennials were just saying that anything, any, any criticism that was levied upon them would hurt their feelings, as you had said earlier, and that companies were completely revamping the way that they were handling employee evaluations because of it. But I had not heard that part of that employee evaluation should include a call to the parents if it went well. <laughs> um, but it's this, it's this weird cultural idea that's taking over that you need to feel good all the time. And if you don't feel good, well, now there's some sort of problem and that problem must be coming from the outside. Yeah. That problem couldn't possibly be with you and your ability to cope. It must be some sort of societal issue. And it's like, no, now everybody, you need to calm down and understand that life sucks sometimes. Yeah. 
And when it sucks, you need to learn to cope. And that's not anybody else's prerogative except for your own. Right. I mean, precisely right. And it's also one of those things where tying this into a broader issue, another one of these things that millennials and everybody seems to be dwelling upon is everybody looks at the unfairness in what people are paying and everybody's so envious of the rich and say, oh, they should be paying more and I should be paying less and they have to pay their, pay their fair share. But meanwhile, what is that? What does that even mean? How, what is a fair share? And how is this in any way, shape or form, not just being pissed off that somebody's making more money than you right? and then right. wanting them to pay more so that you have to do less? And it's just it's very simple. And it's this, this concept of equality has been pushed to the point where it's no longer equality of opportunity and hard work. It's now just we all need to be taken care of and we all are special little flowers and everybody should feel great all the time, regardless, even though it's fucking impossible. Yeah, it's a question that I have asked many, many people uh, who want to talk about equality. I always say, well, do you want equality in the process or do you want equality in the outcome? And they always go, well, both. And I go, no, 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 no. That's not how that works, because you can either force the process to be equal and end up with a disparate outcome, or you can do an equal process and the outcome just ends up however it ends up. Right. Um, And you, you... you know, there's no way to control it. Sometimes life is life. It just it's a bunch of random things bumping into each other. Now, here we go. I want to talk a little bit about something else. This will be a side, a little side tangent, but uh, I want to talk about in general, because we're talking about education earlier in the conversation, we were talking about changing the meaning of words and mm-hmm. how that has happened. I talked about that with socialism, how that seems to be changing what socialism is to fit a, a more happy, happy doctrine. And it comes Brings to mind a recent tweet that Joy Reid sent out. And Joy Reid, I've actually had a uh, <laughs> an interaction with her on Twitter before, getting a little fight with her over Obamacare. But really, I, I had because she had tweeted out that Obamacare markets were stabilizing, and I said all sorts of data, basically being like, "No, they're not stabilizing," and, and calling something stable because we have to pay much more money into support. It doesn't mean it's stable. It means it's <laughs> just being propped up by government. And that's you know just just pointing all these things out to her. So, of course, I was attacked by all of her minions. Uh, which oh, yeah, of course. You know, yeah, which is fine. I, you know, you, you open up the you stick your hand in the hornet's nest. You know, you're going to get stung. So <laughs> but she had a recent tweet that uh, was pointed out to me wherein she tweeted out that a classic r- liberal was, quote, an accurate term for somebody, someone supporting New Deal economics and social modernity, but that doesn't identify as socialist, which is just completely wrong. I mean, it's it's in no way accurate. It's not somebody that supports New Deal. If anything, I mean, classical liberal is as close as you can come to libertarian while still using the phrase liberal as right. exists. It's free market. It's government getting out of things. It's deregulation. Yes. And then still accepting of people being able to live their own lives and, and social movements forward. Right. But right. we look at people like Joy Reid, who's got so, you know, millions of followers. She's on TV. And this is, this is what people are following. And it, it's, mm-hmm. you know, at what point... Do we say, okay, well, if people are just going to make up terms and change the definitions of things and say it authoritatively to millions of people who are now retweeting it, is it, I mean, are we just fucked? And I have to say, <laughs> I ask this, are we fucked? Are we, are we gone? Are we past the point of no return? 
Um, yeah, there's there's definitely going to be some sort of strange evolution that's going to happen, and society will never look like it once did. But uh, yeah, things are changing out of our control, and it's happening partly because of technology, and I'm not sure how to rein in information. But yeah, it seems like words matter, and the definitions of words should matter. And I always looked at the term liberal simply as the exact opposite of communist. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So whatever whatever you think of as communism, liberalism is the exact opposite of that. And that really messes with a lot of people's heads, especially if they are an American conservative, <laughs> because they think of liberalism as bad. Right. And you go, no, 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 you're you're a classic liberal. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> In a lot of ways. You're you're anti-government, you're pro-individual rights. Um, but you, you know, so many components of the liberal ideology fit what you actually want. And uh for for this person to come along, for Joy Reid to come along and hijack the term classical liberal is, uh, is yeah, it's mind boggling. Yeah. It's I, baffling because I don't even know why her followers don't raise an eyebrow and go, no, 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 we're not that. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> but no, nobody wants it. But it's again, it's it's harkens back to the earlier, uh, I think the earlier poll where people don't want to publicly challenge her. And maybe it's maybe it's a, a lack of self-confidence. Maybe people are saying, well, if Joy Reid's on TV, as if as if being on TV makes anyone authority on anything. I mean, for Christ's sake, you're mm-hmm. on TV. Right. And and by the way, I got on TV. I, I did a talking head show about music and I didn't know a thing about music. <laughs> so they would say, we're going to do an episode about heavy metal. And you know what I would do? I would go to the computer and I would study up on heavy metal. And it, but that by no means makes me an expert. I just had some things to say about it. And they recorded those things. And then now we're done. Right. Exactly. Um, and, and Joy Reid is, uh, as I would say, probably less qualified to comment on political matters than you were to comment on heavy metal. Having, having watched this woman, it is, it really is amazing the impact that she can have and the statements she'll she'll make. And they're just, they're based in nothing except maybe a a hastily Googled, uh, you know, article or, uh, or some little bit of tidbit of news that she spun in her direction. Yet she is on TV. She is on CNN. She's on one of the most popular watch news networks spouting Mm -hmm. just misinformation. It's, mm-hmm. it, it just is it's crazy and you see like what people what's funny now actually as many people as watch cable news the written word has actually made a comeback i think we could all thank president trump for bringing back the popularity of the written word because people seem like they can't get enough reading and these days of uh tweets of newspaper articles as long as they're anti-trump and a facebook post as long as they're anti-trump and in that i will give him kudos because he uh, he seems to revitalize the american love of literature even if it is shoddily uh slapped together by unbiased reporting you know the uh the idea of the written word there was an article in in the atlantic i want to say 2 years ago that was really fascinating because when a, when something gets written down um, all of us have this visceral reaction to it that because it has been written, there's some sort of permanence to it, yeah. and therefore it should be absolutely correct, whereas Twitter was developed as a very quick communication device. Like, you know, it's almost like texting. It was it, Twitter started as texts. Yeah. You would be able to text from your phone, and it would post on this website, and everybody was like, what is that? But texts were never meant to be taken as literary truth. You know what I mean? Texts were supposed to be kind of flippant and not really relied upon and just kind of like, well, this is just, 
you know, this is how I talk to my friends. This right. isn't some political stance. Characters. How much? Yeah. How much right. information and background data can you convey in 140 characters? And now it's 280 characters, so it's going to yeah, get I know. much worse. I know. But again, there's this weird, like, visceral response that people want written words on the internet to hold a heavy amount of truth. Meanwhile, some people are typing as though they're writing their memoirs, and other people are typing as though they're talking to a friend at the club. Right. And it's, you, you, you kind of go, okay, well, not, not both of these can have the same emotional response. <laughs> Anything you can send from the toilet should not have a lot of weight behind it. That's, that's my professional opinion. <laughs> But I like to think, I just mentioned how it's funny, man. I'm thinking of, you know, the permanence thing and how, uh, in truth, I guess probably tweets are more permanent now than anything. It's like you can't get rid of it once they're out there. But I'm just imagining, you know, Moses coming down from the mountain and being like, I have tweeted. <laughs> check my, uh, check my list. Yeah. But yeah, it's, 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 and everybody, everybody at the, the sermon or everybody at the, at the base of the mountain, they're like, well, Come on, how hard is it to tweet? And they just turn their back and don't listen. They're like, oh, this guy. Oh, he's got 10 things now. The death Great. of religion, yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> uh, he wants me to like all of them. This fucking guy. I'll, this uh, I'll, guy. Like, I'll like four out of five. I'll retweet. Love one. thy neighbor. I'm going to break his ribs. <laughs> all right. Let's say, let's wrap this up by talking a little bit about uh, Larry David, because I want to talk about your comedy and, and a little bit of your experience recently on touring with this new album. But sure. before we get into that, so Larry David was on Saturday Night Live, and I I have not watched Saturday Night Live in a while, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I um, you're you an know, adult, yeah, yep. exactly. And it just, I mean, I don't, it just has fallen along the wayside as far as uh, creative or funny caricatures of society go, in my opinion. Well, and by the way, I can't even say that either because I haven't watched. Right. <laughs> exactly. You know what I mean? It it is one of the. Um, it is, and it's it's something that I wanted to get into with this particular topic because uh, Larry David, um, he well, why don't why don't you set up the topic? Okay, so I'll set it up just so I can play a quick. I'll play the the, the bit real quick, and then okay. we can talk about it. So here's this is Larry David on SNL. He got a lot of flack for this specific joke, and you will see why in a second. You know, I, I've always always been obsessed with women, and I've often wondered. If I'd, if I'd grown up in Poland when Hitler came to power and was sent to a concentration camp, would I still be checking out women in the camp? <laughs> I think I would. You know? Hey, Shlomo, Shlomo, look at that one over there by Barrett's Eight. Oh, my God. Is she gorgeous? Oh, oh I've had my eye on her for weeks. Yeah, I, I, I've been, I, I'd like to go up and say something to her. Of course... The problem is, there are no good opening lines in a concentration camp. <laughs> How's it going? They treating you okay? You know, if we ever get out of here, I'd love to take you out for some latkes. You like latkes? What? what I say? Is it me or is it the whole thing? It's because I'm bald, isn't it? Anyway, we All right, got a great so you guys heard that. Now, Ryan has not listened to this, uh, this clip yet. So he doesn't know, he doesn't know that joke. So, so tell me what you're thinking, and, uh, and then I'll, I'll discuss this, go on to discuss this, uh, this reference that Larry, Larry uh, David did. 
Well, uh, I want to say this. There are a lot of people that are complaining about that joke who have not heard it, which <laughs> seems to be a, a, a common thing throughout comedy um, since since the internet really took off and since Twitter took off, that people want to complain about jokes that they didn't actually experience for themselves. Because it's all and, about the feels, man. They hear the well, phrase and they say, "That's the that, I can't believe it, the feels. And by the way, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier about lists. You know, the same way you can take any idiot and put them in front of a painting and say, why is this bad? You can put any idiot in front of a joke and they can tell you why it's bad. The the common thing with all creative art forms is humans are flawed and humans create art. So art is always going to be flawed. Now, the problem is this. When you get into a subject, whether it's Holocaust jokes or rape jokes or racist jokes – what people do is they make a big long list about the Holocaust mm-hmm. and they give you facts and statistics and lived experiences about the Holocaust. And then you say, OK, that's a great list. And according to that list, all Holocaust jokes are the same. Right. But if you can tell me something about jokes and we can make a list about how jokes operate, then we learn why all Holocaust jokes are different. Now, once we have both lists, we can weigh out the similarities and the differences and talk about whether or not the joke is any good. But instead, people don't hear the joke for themselves. They don't talk about jokes at all. They just give you facts about the Holocaust, and then they say there's nothing else we could possibly discuss. Right. And you yeah, go, exactly. no, no, that's that's not how this works. Right. It plays and, into the moral – yeah, their own moral outrage machine because they feel so good about right. taking a stand against this perceived wrong as despite never never experiencing it for themselves and it happens not only with jokes but with news articles or any anything else really that's crossing the internet that might touch upon a nerve subject right uh, and the holocaust of course is a, a a classic example really i mean i can't think of a well holocaust and rape that's it those are the two that you can't you assume you can't touch even child molestation i think you can touch a little bit i mean who among us hasn't made a child molestation I've, joke. I've had a good got chunk. a big chunk of it on my new album. Ah, excellent. Um, <laughs> but but again, like even if you listen to the bit on the album and then you think about it, you kind of go, well, he's not really condoning molesting children, but he is talking about pedophilia. Right. So how is this is this set of material exactly like all pedophile jokes, or is this set of material different from all the other pedophile jokes? And once you've asked yourself both questions. Then you can come to a conclusion. But of course, I've had people complain and say, you can't joke about child molestation. And then they talk about child molestation endlessly without ever saying anything about jokes. Right. <laughs> um, but uh, one of my favorite responses to the outrage over Larry David came from a dear friend of mine, uh, comedian Guy Branham. And Guy Branham is the host of Talk Show the Game Show on uh, True TV. And uh, I, I hope I can articulate it as well as he did, but basically he made the point that, um, yes, how dare Larry David actually humanize the people who were in the Holocaust by giving them real human emotions and interactions. They should just be the mythical victims that they are. Right. And I just went, I don't even know what the joke is, and I know you're correct. Yeah, no, it's, that's, that is a brilliant statement because it is true. That is the purpose of comedy in so many situations is that you do – you look at it from different angles. You find the humor and say, yeah, these people are still people. They're not simply paintings. They're not photos on the wall. They're not the, the shoes that you see lined up in the Holocaust Museum. They were people. They clearly had interactions. I remember I was listening to uh, Tim Allen on Adam Carolla's podcast talk about his experience in prison. And how mm-hmm. he was getting, you know, 
people would would uh, beat him up a little bit, and he would be laughing because he'd find a different way to look at it. And uh, I mean, mm. you're telling me Jews, the the most well represented population in entertainment, who have a a classically wry sense of humor and are typically self deprecating and, and and are capable of more than capable of laughing at themselves. You're telling me there weren't some Jews in the Holocaust in Auschwitz making making jokes about the situation and trying to find something to give their lives a little bit of joy in that situation. Right. Right. And, and by the way, all the people, there are so many people tweeting things like, "Ugh, Larry David making Holocaust jokes. Ugh, I can't even, and I'm like, you can't <laughs> what even what, yeah. because, because you could just take that same tweet and say, Sarah Silverman making Holocaust jokes. Ugh, I can't even. And I'm like, well, obviously both those statements must mean the same thing, but you're talking about two different people, two different sets of jokes. You've, you've got all these differences that you want to ignore. And instead you just want to hang on to all these feelings about the Holocaust. And it's like, okay, well you might as well say, ugh, Holocaust paintings. I can't even, ugh, a Holocaust poem. I can't even. Like, I love the I can't even phrase in itself just indicates the fact that you're like, you can't even what you can't even is think about something legitimate to say, have any intelligent or, or uh, educated <laughs> criticism of it, because otherwise you would do so instead of saying I can't even. Right. And and surprisingly, I agree with you. You can't even. <laughs> All right. So with that in mind, with uh, with the outrage machine at, at full blast, you were talked a little bit about people's reaction to the pedophile joke. So. You know, let's for the next couple of minutes, I just want to hear what was your recent experience? You've been on the road for a little while with the new album. Have you felt like the temperament has changed at all in recent um, months? I, it's really surprising. My experience has been um, really kind of uh, probably different from most comics experiences, because when I get on stage, I tend to try to talk about things that are very human and things that connect all of us. And I don't really get politically active. You know, there there's a, a portion in my act right now where I talk about everybody just wants to feel good. Donald Trump just wanted to feel good. Hillary Clinton just wanted to feel good. Bill Cosby just wanted to feel good. <laughs> Listen, and by the way, and at that point, people moan and I go, wait, I'm sorry. Did I say did I say something incorrect? Did I give incorrect words? Okay, let me let me change the wording. Bill Cosby allegedly wanted to feel good. Is that better? <laughs> is that worse? And because I'm playing with language and feelings, it's not really political. And I'm hoping that I'm doing something that people can get on board for no matter where they stand politically. I'm I'm trying to talk about ethics and not politics. Right and wrong, not, you know, being governed. But uh, when I'm in cities like Seattle and San Francisco, which are classically liberal cities. <laughs> Careful do there. You know, do you know who gets very loud in those audiences? People who have come in for the weekend from the outlying areas who are very conservative and they feel like, okay, I'm in this liberal bastion. I should really be loud about my conservative values because uh. the election and, and we deserve to be heard now. And those people have been the most disruptive people in all the shows. That's um, so they're trying, yeah, they're, they're feeling like now they're, they're feeling empowered. They're feeling as though they, they have a one up on these, these people that they've always secretly uh, despised because right. they were uh, so liberal and out in here, out here and, in Homoville or whatever they want to call it. And now right. they have one up on them. So they, they want to interrupt. They want to have you because they feel like you're going to act and, and act in as though they expect, which would be to attack them for their conservative values rather than to point out uh, right. the flaw in their logic. 
it's almost like they get in the car feeling attacked already going, all right, we're driving into San Francisco. We know what they're going to be like. And their adrenaline spikes and then they get some drinks in them and then they're they're on edge. And it's like, whoa, nothing's even happened yet. Take it easy. Right. And they're like, see, you're telling me to take it easy. This is just like you people. And you go, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> um, but on the opposite end of that, when I go to places like um, I was just in Wisconsin, which Hillary did not win Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. Um, those people um, in those audiences, they sat and they were very polite for the whole show. And even though I'm on stage talking about, you know, what would be considered left-wing talking points like equality and, uh, um, you know, thoughts and feelings and where those things collide. All those conservative audiences have been very polite and receptive and open-minded, and it almost seems like those audiences have relaxed, and they're like, (laughs) everything's okay because we won the election, so now we can totally understand – uh, or we can we can feel safe sitting here letting this guy talk. I, I was and, thinking probably they're just yeah. You know, speaking of relaxing, they probably just going to let you speak, but then being in Wisconsin, just silently leak out cheese farts the entire time you're on stage. Look <laughs> <laughs> um, it back well, at you one, one way or the other. One of them made the point. They're like, no, we have craft beer here that's very good, so we can <laughs> we can just enjoy ourselves and listen to you. But you know, I was I was surprised because I was in Atlanta and I was doing my shows. I always do, and I started my career in San Francisco. So there is going to be a liberal slant, a, a, a not a classically liberal slant, but a. <laughs> Um, a true liberal slant. <laughs> um, I, maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Um, but talking about things that they don't want to hear that might be just rationalizing things that might not be classically conservative. How about that? There you go. And I like I'm in I'm in Atlanta, which is a mixed bag. And these two people came up to me afterward and they were like, we really liked your show. We really thought it was thoughtful. We were really amazed, you know, the, the way you were talk, talking about thoughts versus feelings. And he's the the man he said uh as soon as you started in on this one bit i i leaned to my wife and i was like i can just tell he's conservative <laughs> and i was like wow because i didn't do anything that was politically conservative on stage and then she says yeah i'm probably 80% liberal 20% conservative but i always vote conservative because the liberals have just gone crazy mm. and i'm sitting there and again i don't talk about politics on stage but it's almost like People feel like they need to pick a team, right. <laughs> and they want to tell me which team they're on after the show. Right, and they yeah, and, they're projecting their own values on you because they right. liked you, so they're going right. to say, "Well, clearly, if I liked him, he agrees with me, and I happen to be X, Y, or Z." Yes, and they'll pick and choose the points that that will correspond to their worldview. I'm going to rationalize everything he said in accordance with how I feel. Precisely. Look at this, and we and we we wrapped a little bow around it. Perfectly yes. coming around where people. Enjoy being in their bubble. They will seek to rationalize. They'll seek to intellectually legitimize whatever points will fit their worldview, and they'll look to reinforce that worldview in any way, shape, or form, unless they can be challenged in a fantastically creative way, which I think you have done with your comedy and continue to do. Thank you, buddy. I appreciate that. Yeah, uh, I'm gonna anytime. I'm gonna keep pushing ahead. I'm gonna create a new album and release that one. Do it. I'll have you back on again. I mean, hell, this one came out today, so it's already old for me. Uh, you know what? I was gonna—I wasn't sure if it was because I saw it on pre-sale. Then I went today, and I said, "Oh, it's actually up." So that's great, perfect timing. So, guys, check that out. Please go check out Ryan Stout's "How to Be an Audience," and don't forget—he's got another album too. It's not just Called today. Touché. Yeah. 
Really, the se- touche would have been the second one. You could have had two in there. It would have had yeah. a lot more resonance as far as right. phonetics and uh, literal. I was going to do touche, touche two or touche redux. Mm. Um, I went through a lot of thoughts, but uh, how to be an audience was something that I actually screamed at this audience during the show. <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm I'm recording these shows and I'm going to put this out on an album and call it How to Be an Audience. God damn it. <laughs> and, that was a bet you made with an audience member. And you're like, fuck that guy. I'll show yeah, him. I'm, uh, this is permanent now, you assholes. <laughs> uh, yeah, anybody who's thinking about buying the album, you should know that, I mean, that's me on stage in front of a group of complete strangers. A lot of comedians, they try to record their album in front of, you know, a room full of their friends and family so they can get the biggest laughs possible. But I'm like, no, 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 I want to go out on stage and earn it. I want to earn it from these strangers and have them laugh and clap because if you're a stranger and you listen to it, then it will be funny for you. And so I, I make things hard harder on myself so it'll be a little easier on the consumer i like it man go in there dirty bareback go in there hard yeah <laughs> all right well ryan once again man thank you so much for coming on the show love having you on thank you. oh i'll be on more than once I, it's, I always want to talk to you a lot longer we it's like uh, time flies real quick man so thank you <laughs> and everybody out there i want to thank you for listening along i want to remind you to follow us on twitter at brian mcwilliams ryan remind me what's your it's out stout ryan if i remember yes, correctly on on twitter that's yes, right on the twitter you can follow at lions liberty follow at stout ryan follow me at brian mcwilliams remember guys you can join our pride to get bonus content there's going to be some uh, little conversation with ryan that we had to shoot in the shit i'm going to put out there for our bonus pride members so that is always fun and uh, otherwise thank you so much so for me brian mcwilliams here at lions of liberty from electric liberty land i want to tell you to always stay plugged in to liberty